Hour 4 of the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. Lisa Wolf, my co-host, the great Mike Costella, our executive producer. We're here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning, bringing you eight classic radio shows. And it's sponsored in part by Burdine's Jewelers. My good pal Matt Burdine will give you top dollar for your fine jewelry. I'm good friends with Matt Burdine. He owns a jewelry store called Burdine's Jewelry, and they have a phone number, toll-free number, 800-875-4418. Their website is Burdine's, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S.com. And at Burdine's, they do three things, and I know you know this because you've used Burdine's as well. You can sell your fine jewelry to Matt Burdine. He'll pay top dollar for it. You can turn that unwanted jewelry, jewelry that maybe you don't wear anymore, into cold hard cash, which is nice. You can buy amazing pieces of jewelry at his store. And you could also, as you did, revitalize some of your jewelry too, right? Right. That's what I did. I had inherited some pieces that um, I really loved, but I thought I could really appreciate them and wear them if they were more updated in my style. And Matt Burdeen is definitely the man for the job. That's right. Go to his website, Burdeen's, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com. And you know what? If you mention this radio show, when you call or go to their website, they will give you a free appraisal, no cost appraisal. Just call their toll-free number, 800-875-4418, or go to his website, Burdeen's, B-U-R-D-E-E-N-S dot com. We have the conclusion to The Great Gildersleeve, then it's Frontier Gentlemen coming your way after this short break. Hour four of the WGN Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. I want to remind everyone listening that we have a classic radio club. This is the club for you. If you like classic radio shows and you'd like to receive 10 of the greatest classic radio shows sent to you each and every month via digital download or in the mail in five CDs in a collector case, well, join our club. Go to ClassicRadioClub.com. Hundreds of your fellow listeners are part of the club. There's a reason why they're enjoying it. You can get all the greatest classic radio shows and you can cancel at any time. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. In our last hour, we began listening to a very funny episode of The Great Gildersleeve called The Matchmaker. Hal Perry stars. Let's return to January 25th, 1942 for the conclusion now to The Great Gildersleeve. Of all the muddled up cases I've ever had to listen to in all my life. Oh, hello, Gildersleeve. Hi. Glad you dropped in. How's everything? Coming along better than you'd ever suspect, Judge. Remember our conversation out at the house the other night? Of course I do. And as soon as I left, I thought of some dandy answers, too. Now, let me see if I can remember. Oh, don't bother. But there's one thing I've been thinking about, Gildy, old man. Yeah? What was that, Judge? You remember saying that what I needed was a good woman? Yeah? I didn't give that much thought at first, but now I believe you're right. Oh, that's fine. And I have a little lady who'd be just the person for you. You think she'd know how to run my home right, huh? Oh, yes, and make you very happy, too. I hope she knows how to cook. Oh, yes, I'm sure she's a wonderful cook. 
Uh, very nice looking also. Not interested in her looks, Gildy. At my age, a good cook is a lot more important than a pretty face. Oh. Well, this lady is both. Um, I mean, she has both. Huh? That is, she is one and has the other. Oh. <laughs> uh, when would you like to meet her? Sooner the better. Well, how about dropping over to our house for dinner next Friday? I'll have her there, too. Fine. Only you needn't go to all this trouble. Couldn't you just meet me here and we could settle the whole thing in ten minutes? Yes. Oh, no, you can't do things that way. Why not? Well, how do you know you're going to like each other, Hooker? Huh? Uh, this is a serious step you're about to take. Huh. You've got to approach it uh, cautiously. Well, maybe you're right. Believe me, if she's all that you say she is, I'll keep her for life. Well, I should hope so. Oh, Judge, recess is over. All right, Billy. I'll see you Friday night, Gildy. Yeah, all right, Friday night. So long, Judge. Say, Your Honor, if you're still looking for a housekeeper... No, never mind, never mind. Mr. Gildersleeve has found a woman who sounds like a perfect servant. Well, that's nice of him. Yeah, he's a pretty good friend. In his fat, bumbling way. <laughs> ah, good afternoon, Bertie. Hello, good Leroy. Hi, Uncle Mort. Well, I've arranged the whole thing. Judge Hooker's coming to dinner day after tomorrow. Oh, then I better fix something extra special scrumptious with a touch of romantic and a dash of lovey-dovey. Yeah. You invited Miss Banks, of course. Oh, yes. And she was so excited, she kept calling me a dear boy. <laughs> I sure hope she's going to like Judge Hooker when she meets up with him. Oh, of course she will. Just as soon as I tell her that he's the unknown admirer who's been sending her the flowers and candy and poems. Say, did I read you the new poem I sent her last night? No, let's hear it, Uncle. Yeah, I've got a copy of it here under the desk somewhere. Ah, uh, yes, here it is, under the water bill. Uh. <laughs> uh, listen to this, folks. Oh, Henrietta, sweet Henrietta. I can't forget a girl like you. <laughs> Where'er I go, I see your face. In the sun, in the snow, or any old place. <laughs> your smile turns the winter into spring and makes my poor heart go ting-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> and though I'm so shy, I worship from afar. Way up in my sky, you're the number one star. <laughs> oh, Henrietta, sweet Henrietta, I'd sure like to get a girl like you. Oh, gee. Gee, I never knew you were a poet, Unc. You sure have a gift, Mr. Gillsleeve. Yeah, do you like it? I'll give you copies if you want them. Well, that should sure make her feel mushy towards the judge. Yeah. Say, does he know he's been writing her all that guff and sending her all that stuff? Yes. Well, no, I've invited him to come here a half an hour before Henrietta gets here. Remind me to button hooker and tell him all about it then. Yes, sir, that's a very good idea. And he won't have time enough then to get cold feet. Yeah. And cold feet has ruined more romances one way or the other than practically anything. <laughs> <laughs> Is everything set, Bertie? Yes, sir, right to a T. All the judge's favorite dishes to put him in good humor. You know, I planned to decorate the table with orange blossoms so Miss Banks would feel like a blushing bride, only I couldn't get none. So I used oranges, but we was out. And that's why we got lemons on the table. Yes. <laughs> that must be the bridegroom-to-be now. Let him in, Bertie. Yes, sir. And won't he be surprised to learn of what we've cooked up for him? Yeah. 
Leroy, leave those olives alone. Yes, sir. I was just rearranging them, that's all. Really? <laughs> it ain't the judge, Mr. Gillsleeve. It's the insurance company. They'd have sent another doctor to give you that examination. Oh, my goodness. I can't make it now. Tell him I'm busy. Uh, have him come here another time. Okay, okay. But you better hurry before the rates go up. Uh, Gee, of all the times to show up just when we're ready to put over a big merger like this. Uh, Leroy, I wish you'd include yourself out of this affair. It's a delicate matter involving the future happiness of two fine people. And I don't want you in your juvenile way to mess it up. Oh, don't worry, Uncle Mort. I know my part. As soon as they go in the living room after dinner, I'll start playing those Nelson Eddy, Jeanette McDonald records. Well, you're a bright boy, Leroy. <laughs> That's right. Don't slip up now. The doctor done went, but he's been replaced by another visitor, Miss Henrietta Banks. What? Oh, she's too early, Bertie. Why, the judge isn't here yet. Of all the numbskull females that ever are, oh, hello, Henrietta. <laughs> My, how lovely you look tonight. Oh, thank you, Throckmorton. Yeah? And dear little Leroy, how are you this evening? Well, just fine, Miss Banks. Oh, come, come, come now. No more of this Miss Banks, darling. Just call me Auntie. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, how are you, Throckmorton? The cat still got your tongue? Uh, who, me? Oh, no. <laughs> we don't keep a tongue. I mean, nobody's got our cat. <laughs> uh, won't you have a, a sit-down? <laughs> Thank you. Now, come over here and sit beside me. Huh? There. Uh, That's better, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yes, considerably. <laughs> you know, I was so anxious to find out what your surprise was. I, I just couldn't wait. Uh, That's why I'm here so early. Uh, do you think I'm acting like a giddy young schoolgirl? Yes. Oh, Throckmorton, you say the most flattering, precious things. <laughs> Almost as nice as your poems. Yeah. My poems? But I never wrote you any poems. Oh, come, come now, don't deny them, you shy, modest boy. If, but there must be some mistake. Why, not at all. Oh, incidentally, Throckmorton, do you particularly like the color of those drapes at the window? Well, I don't know. I never gave it much thought. Why? Oh, I was just thinking about changing them, that's all. Oh, uh, if you mean... Uh, uh, yes. That's what I thought you meant. <laughs> uh, uh, Throckmorton, am I going to get that big surprise before dinner or afterward? Well, Henrietta, looks like you're going to get it any minute now. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Gilsey, but there's an important phone call for you. Phone call? Oh, my goodness. Excuse me, please. I'll be right back. Yes. Hello? Who is this? Hello, guilty old chap. This is Hooker. Sorry I won't be able to make it tonight. If what? I got a hung jury that ought to be. If... <laughs> You've got to be here, Judge Hooker. You don't understand all the trouble I've gone to. There's surprises and everything. How soon can you get here? Maybe I can install things. Oh, don't count on me at all. What am I going to do about Henrietta? Uh, Miss Banks. Oh, you mean the new housekeeper? Housekeeper? It does. Tell her she's hired. Hired? Yeah, I'll take a chance. What can I lose? Uh, but she isn't a housekeeper at all. Then tell her she's fired. Goodbye, give me <laughs> Well, now I'm really in the soup. <laughs> Is the surprise ready now? Uh, yes, Henrietta, but it's a different one altogether. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I didn't think you would. I asked Judge Hooker to come here this evening. I told the judge all about you, but he can't make it tonight. Oh, well, that's perfectly all right, Throckmorton. What? It is? Uh, surely. Oh, you don't know what a relief this is to me, Henrietta. Why, you impetuous boy. Don't you realize that even if the judge had come, we... 
We couldn't get married without a license. If uh, we, uh, the judge wasn't going to marry us. He was going to marry you. Uh, to whom? To himself. But I, I don't know him at all. Oh yes, you do. He's your unknown admirer. Oh no, that uh, that's you. Oh no, that's the judge. All right, then then bring him here and let's see. If see, oh well, I can hardly do that for a little while yet. Oh. You're just like all other men. Uh, After leading me on, it turns out to be a joke. Yeah. A cruel, heartless joke. And after I've told all my friends... Oh. Well, you haven't heard the last of this, Mr. Gildersleeve. There are courts and laws to protect innocent girls from men like you. Goodbye. Oh, why was I ever born? <laughs> I'm telling you, Judge. Leroy got it straight from the little bank's boy. His aunt has called in some lawyer named Taylor. Oh, he's a tough man, this Taylor. He'll take you straight to the cleaners. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm afraid of. They've been going over those letters and poems I sent Henrietta. Uh-oh, that's bad. Yes. If they ever read those poems in court, I'll never be able to hold up my head again in Summerfield. Well, it serves you right for trying to marry me off. Gildersleeve, you're a pretty stupid Cupid. If... <laughs> But I meant everything for the best, Judge. Oh, please, can't you help me? Why, yes, Gildersleeve, I'll be glad to help you. If you publish those poems, put me down for a copy. I'll see here, Hooker. That's the wrong attitude after I played John Alton to your Pocahontas. Gildersleeve, I'm going to get out of here before I get involved in this scandalous case. Goodbye. I'll be seeing you in the funny paper, Gildy. The old goat. There's gratitude for you. The next time I take pity on him, I hope somebody gives me a good swift kick in the telephone. <laughs> Hello? If who? Oh, uh, uh, Mr. Taylor. Oh, uh, uh, if tomorrow, Mr. Taylor? If, if what time, Mr. Taylor? Uh, goodbye, Mr. Taylor. Oh, now my goose is frigazied. If, <laughs> if Bertie, Leroy. What is it, Uncle? Did you call Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes, more bad news. Henrietta Banks is sending her lawyer over to see me tomorrow afternoon. She's going to sue me for damages if I don't marry her. Oh, gee, if you could only show her that you'd make a terrible husband. It's nonsense, Leroy. I'd make a wonderful husband. What am I saying? I'd be awful. Yeah, but how are you going to prove it without marrying her? Uh, huh? Wait a minute. I just had an idea. Yes, I think it'd work out. If I could only convince that lawyer of hers that I'm not worth marrying... But how? I know. Now listen, you two. When Mr. Taylor, the lawyer, shows up tomorrow, Bertie, you'll meet him at the door, and then you'll say to him... Come right in, mister. You can see Mr. Gillsleeve, but you got to promise to be quiet while you're in there, on account of he's a mighty sick man. Oh, sick? Must be something new. Oh, no, he gets this way off and on. Now, here we is, and remember, no getting him excited and no yelling at him. Oh, of, of course not. I brought you a visitor, the gentleman you was expecting. Oh, yes. <laughs> How do you do, sir? You won't mind if my nephew just goes on feeding me my chicken broth, will you? No, not at all. Uh, maybe I'd better come some other day when you'll be feeling better. Hmm? Oh, sometimes I wonder if I'll ever feel better. No, no. No, no, don't say that, Unc. You still have a fighting chance. Yeah, thank you, my boy. You're such a comfort. Hey, more chicken broth, please. <laughs> okay, Unc. Careful, it's hot. Yes, I'll be careful. Oh! <laughs> hey, that is hot, Leroy. Uh, careful, Unc. Uh, careful? Oh, yes. 
Oh, the pain. <laughs> no more soup, Leroy. Well, uh, what seems to be your trouble, Mr. Gildersleeve? Well, I could tell you about my troubles all afternoon. But why bore you with an organ recital? <laughs> That man is in no shape to get married, and any lady who gets hitched up with him better be ready to dye her wedding veil black. No. No, Bertie, never say die. Uncle Mort still has a 50-50 chance. Is that so? Do you want to bet? Oh. <laughs> Do you want to finish dictating your will, Uncle? Uh, excuse me for interrupting, Mr. Gildersleeve, but uh, uh, what's wrong with you? Uh, my heart. Oh, high blood pressure? Alternating with low blood pressure. No. <laughs> Rather unusual. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Yes, anything else. Hunk has been given up by ten doctors, six hospitals, and a chiropractor. Yeah, so you can see, I'm, I'm really in no condition to take on new obligations. Well, I should think not. Yeah. I uh, don't see any reason for me to waste any time examining you. I'll just go back and report. Yeah. Oh. oh, excuse me. Uh, hand me the telephone, Leroy. Thanks. Hello? Hello, Gildersleeve. This is Judge Hooker. Say, heard the good news yet? It's all over the courthouse. Congratulations, you lucky stiff. Uh, I don't think I understand. Why, you know what's happened? Henrietta Banks has gone and eloped with her lawyer, George Taylor. If what? Yeah, well, so long. Well, wow, this is wonderful. All my troubles are over. Now she can't sue me. Henrietta married her lawyer, folks. Say, if she... Then who are you, mister? Uh, me? Oh, I thought you knew. I'm the doctor from the insurance company. What? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry you didn't make the break, Mr. Gildersleeve. Goodbye. you've been turned down, what are you going to do about insurance? Leroy, I'm going to spend that money for some victory insurance. What do you mean? I'm going to invest in defense bonds that'll pay off in 10 years. It's like an endowment policy. Swell. And meanwhile, your dollars will be fighting for you and for Uncle Sam. That's right. It's a wonderful way of combining business and pleasure, isn't it? Good night, folks. <laughs> Original music heard on this program was composed and conducted by William Randolph. This is Jim Bannon speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week at the same time for the further adventures of The Great Gildersleeve. This is the National Broadcasting Company. And that's The Great Gildersleeve from January 25th, 1942, with The Matchmaker starring Hal Perry and Walter Tetley in that uh, show as Leroy. I got to play uh, Leroy on a radio reenactment. I was just going to ask you if you were going to reprise the I've, Leroy voice. You know, I've talked about this before, no. but I, I have to tell have you. you? 
Let me tell you, Lisa, years and years ago, when I used to go to these conventions, they don't really have that many anymore because most of these people, unfortunately, have passed away. But when I first got into the hobby of collecting and licensing these classic radio shows, there were conventions all over the country. New York and uh, New Jersey had them a lot. So did uh, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, and Cincinnati, Ohio, and some other parts of the country. Seattle has them sometimes too. And I went to these conventions. I, I couldn't wait till there was another convention because these these stars from the golden age of radio were there. I mean, Lon Clark and Willard Waterman, Jackson Beck, Shirley Mitchell. I mean, just I can go on and on and on. One time, and I think it was in Cincinnati, uh, they did a radio reenactment of the Great Gildersleeve. And if you're a um, you know a visitor, you're there to meet these people. You can audition to be in one of the radio reenactments. And I won the role of Leroy. So I got to stand right next to Willard Waterman. I mean, Willard Waterman, he played the great Gildersleeve on radio Mm -hmm. and on television. Shirley Mitchell was there too. She was Leela Ransom. And I played Leroy. Leroy. You know, I played the Walter Tetley role. Uh, You want to talk about Fun. I was going to say experience of a lifetime for you. No oh, question. my gosh. You know, I'll never forget it. And then I met uh, Raymond Edward Johnson, who was Raymond, our host on Inner Sanctum. So, so many. I never met John Daner, though. John Daner was the star of Frontier Gentleman, a good Western adventure that uh, John Daner played J.B. Kendall, reporter for the London Times newspaper. And the stories followed the adventures of an English journalist as he roamed the turbulent times of the Western United States in the late 1800s in search of newspaper stories. And he met Jesse James, Calamity Jane, Wild Bill Hickok, you know, all the big names of the wild, wild West. And he was proficient with a gun, But he was really great with a pen. He would write these stories and talk about them on the radio. CBS aired this series for one year in 1958. The supporting players were Harry Bartell, Virginia Gregg, Stacey Harris, Joseph Kearns, Jeanette Nolan. We have an episode now called The Claim Jumpers from March 9th, 1958. Here's John Daner in an episode of Frontier Gentlemen. In the mining country of Montana Territory, it seems that it's one thing to find gold and another to claim it as your own. Frontier Gentlemen. an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. Now, starring John Daner, this is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. I 
I've been traveling along the Mullen Wagon Road in Montana Territory, and I was looking forward to reaching Helena before dark when my horse began to go lame. And I realized I faced the prospect of camping out for still another night. I had just rounded a bend in the trail when I saw the small figure plodding along on foot ahead of me. He carried a pack on his back, and as I drew nearer, I saw that he was no more than a boy, 17 or 18. Hi. Hello. Going into Helena? Yes, but I don't think I'll get there tonight. Horse has gone lame. Oh. Yeah, right foreleg, huh? Yes. He slipped off a rut a mile or so further back. Too bad. Thought I might get a ride with you. There ain't been many wagons along today. No. How far have you walked? Mostly from Fort Benton. Got a couple of rides day four yesterday. <laughs> Say, um, you, you don't happen to have any food on you? I ain't got much, but I could pay a dollar or two, I guess. Oh, I've enough for the two of us. You better save your money. Oh, that's mighty nice. Now keep your eyes open for a decent bit of ground and we'll make a camp. About half a mile beyond, we found a somewhat sheltered spot a little way off the trail. The youngster, his name was Bill Richmond, gathered wood, and I prepared the food. It was almost dark by the time we had finished. Well, that was as fine a meal as I've ever eaten, Mr. Kendall. And I'm glad you enjoyed it, Bill. Did you smoke? Mm, no, sir. I haven't found a taste for it yet. <laughs> You've got time. Take my advice. When you do, use a pipe. Yes, sir. Where'd you come from? Kentucky. Mm, a long way. Yeah, I ran away from home. It wasn't much of a place. I figured I was old enough. Mm-hmm. And you came out here for gold? That's right. Hey, you make any strikes, Mr. Kendall? No, no. I'm not a prospector. How did you get to Fort Benton, Bill? Mm, I worked my way up one of them river boats. I sure learned plenty about gold mining from some of them fellas. You know what this says? There's places in this country where you can pick the gold right off the ground. I imagine the trick is to find those places. Oh, I will. <laughs> of course, I don't mind digging some if I have to. I wish you luck. Hello. Sounds like we have visitors. How are you? Me and my pals saw the light of your fire off of the trail. You mind company? No, not at all. Yeah. Well, my name is Jack Hinton. Oh, this here, this is Rod Goodall. Howdy. And him with a long face there, that's Dauncey Abbott. How are you? J.B. Kendall. The nipper is Bill Richmond. Oh, howdy. Uh, I'd offer you some food, but I'm afraid we used the last Oh, one. that's all right. We got our own grub. But how's the firewood? Enough, I think. <laughs> uh, Dauncey, your turn for the grub. Get going. Nothing I hate worse than... <laughs> he hates cooking like thunder, but he sure knows how to make a son of a gun stew. Oh, now that fire sure does feel good. You and the kid have any luck? Find any traces around here? And as a matter of fact, Mr. Goodall, I haven't been looking. I'm on my way to Helena. No, Bill is the prospector. Oh, that's so? Boy, we just camping down for the night, huh? I aim to try my luck west of Helena. So, huh? Well, now, boy, how come you wait until you get there? Well, I heard tell of big strikes. That's how come, mister. Oh, <laughs> now, you listen to me, boy. There ain't no sense going everybody else goes. 
But for all you know, you're sitting on a bonanza right now. <laughs> Oh, you're joshing me. No, no, I ain't. Here, Rod. Rod, ain't that the truth? He could be. Why, sure it could. Now, listen, I heard stranger had... Oh, they're pulling your leg, Bill. No, sir, no such of a thing, <laughs> mister. Now, well, now, listen here. Me and the boys, we was working Deer Lodge country a year. Dauncey, you remember? I remember. Why, sure. Now, a couple of fellers right in the next camp to us. They got into a shoot-up. Next thing you know, one of them bites the dust. Other fella, he starts out to bury the poor son of a gun. He digs a grave right there in the camp, and what do you think? Yeah? Pay dirt. Lousy with gold. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Hinton, you'd take first prize with that one. In a minute, you'd have me believe in you. Oh, but that's the truth, though. Oh, we've seen stranger things than that. And that's a fact. It was a pleasant way to pass the night. Three prospectors, hard-bitten, rough men, spinning one tale after another... They'd never find a better audience than Bill Richmond, and they knew it. I could see him absorbing every word. And it wasn't until the fire was getting low that we finally turned in. At first, I thought I heard the shouting in my dreams. And then I knew that I was awake, and it was beginning to grow light in the east. I made it. What What are you talking about, Bill? Just like they said here. I found it. Found what? The gold, the gold. Gold? Boy, what's it gold? What? Look, Mr. Hinton. Mr. Hinton, sir. Look here, gold. Gold? All night I thought about what you told me, you know? All them stories. I didn't even sleep for it. And this morning, this morning here, I got up and I walked up the gulch, and I found this. Now, let me see that. Iron pyrite, so bet you. May I see? Ain't it gold, Mr. Kendall? It is. The fellas on the boat, they told me what to look for. Iron pyrite, Sir Kendall. Dauncey, fetch me the hammer. I got, I got more in my pockets. Look at this Boy, one. Boy, will you shut your mouth a minute? Where'd you find it? Surface? No, no, kind of kind of sticking out of a rock in a, in a gully. I can show you. Well, I'm sure obliged to you, Mr. Hinton. Use the hammer. If you want my opinion, you're wasting your time. That's gold. Sure it is, Mr. Kendall. It don't break. Ooh. It's soft. Ain't no alloy in it, neither. No silver or copper. Look at the color. Pure gold. Show us where you found it, boy. We followed Bill into a gulch which began no more than a hundred yards from the campfire. He turned into a shallow gully and stopped. I could see where he had cut into the rocky bank with his pocket knife. And I could see something else, too. In the faces of the men who stood over him. The guarded tones of voice. Bill? Bill, I would say that you've hit it. That's a fact. Ain't no question in my mind. No telling how far that vein goes. Say, don't, don't think I'll forget you fellas, because I won't. I, I'm going to make a fine present to all of you. Well, that's mighty thoughtful, boy, mighty thoughtful. I imagine one stakes out a claim now, isn't that so, Mr. Hinton? Hmm. Then register it in Helena? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, yeah, that sure is, Kendall. That's the thing to do, yeah. Uh, Bill? Bill, I don't guess you'd mind if me, me and the boys take a look on up the gully ways, would you? It should be plenty for all of us. Oh, no, sir, you go right ahead. I ain't no hog now. I got all I need right here. Good, good. Then we'll help you then make out the claim, all proper and legal. Well, that's fine. All right, let's go, boys. Oh, uh, Kendall, you coming? Uh, in just a moment. 
Mr. Kendall. Listen. I owe you plenty picking me up, sharing your food with me and all. I'm cutting you in for a share of this. Oh, no, no, no. It's yours. If there's more here, I'll stake my own claim. No, no, you don't have to. Now, this here must be worth hundreds and thousands. Listen to me, Bill. The most important thing is for you to register that claim, get title to it. You understand? Sure, sure. All right. Have you got a gun? Uh, no, I ain't got no gun. Well, you know how to use one. Well, I guess so. But... I'd take it, just in case of accidents. I'm going with the others now. If any more strangers come, don't tell them what you found. All right, Mr. Kendall. You better go back to camp now. Wait for me there. Sure, if you say so. I stayed with the three prospectors almost the whole day. We found traces all right, low-grade ore, but nothing really worth working. It was late afternoon when we retraced our steps to the camp. On the way, we passed through the gully and the site of Bill's claim. The sun had already fallen behind the mountains to the west, and there was a chill in the air. Can't just figure it. Just the one vein. Possibly it's a question of digging. Seems to be a number of gullies running off. We looked around these parts a couple of years back, remember, Rod? That's right. I'd swear what the kid found's a freak. Might not go more than a foot or two and then peter out. No, don't look that way to me. I'd say she'd show better than... Oh, $2,000 a ton. Hmm. Lucky boy. Yeah, ain't he, though. Say, Kendall, you and the boy, you partners or something? Oh, no. Oh. I met him yesterday for the first time. Oh? Man can search a lifetime, not find anything like that. Yeah. Kind of crazy, ain't it? We tell him stories, and he takes us up on it and finds this. Think that'd be worth a share in the claim, wouldn't you? He sure shooting wouldn't have come looking if we hadn't given him the idea. Sure. What do you think, Kendall? Well, I think, gentlemen, that this is Bill Richmond's claim, and we better get it staked out for him before dark. The way you see it, huh? Exactly that way. Yeah. Well, might as well get on back to camp. Well, don't you think it'd be a good idea to help the boy to stake out his claim before nightfall? Well, I don't know, Kendall. I'm kind of tired right now. How about you fellas? Yeah. I sure had enough for one day. Oh, that ain't been there a long time. Guess she won't be moving tonight. Kendall, uh, you know how to stake out a claim. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Oh. Well, I guess it can wait. Do something about it in the morning, huh? Because right now I sure could use some grub. In a moment, we return to Frontier Gentlemen. A suspense story starring Agnes Moorhead and the latest action-packed adventure with insurance investigator Johnny Dollar are two of the exciting dramas waiting for you on CBS Radio today. If you like your listening on the thrilling side, don't miss Agnes Moorhead on Suspense. 
And don't miss Johnny Dollar's tense tangle with a spy ring on most of these same stations today. And now we return you to Anthony Ellis' production of Frontier Gentlemen. In the camp now, there was a very different atmosphere. Sullen, I think is the best word for it. A subtle hostility had settled like a gray mist. I saw the men huddled together as Bill and I prepared the campfire. And I had a pretty good idea of what they were talking about. Oh, she's going fine now, Mr. Now, Kendall. Uh, listen to me, Bill. I think we may be in for a bit of trouble. And no matter what happens, keep your head. How come? No time to explain now, you'll see. Just don't lose your temper. <clears throat> Bill. Yeah, Mr. Hinton? Bill, me and the boys been talking. Now, we figure while it's still light, you ought to get that claim staked out all regular. Mm, yeah, that's fine with me. Now, of course, doing you a service like that, seeing how you nor Kendall know about such things, we reckon it ought to be worth something to you. Well, that's all right. I don't want something for nothing. There, see? See what I tell you, boy? He's a good kid. You was right. Uh, what was... do you think such services are worth, Mr. Hinton? Even shares all around. Cut you in two, of course, Mr. Even Kendall. shares? Just a moment, Bill. Pretty expensive, isn't it? I imagine a lawyer wouldn't charge that much. Ain't no lawyers around here, is there, Jack? <laughs> no, sir. Now, Bill, it's kind of like protecting your rights, you see? Because if anything happened and you didn't get to get your claim registered, why, the next feller comes along, the whole thing belonged to him, you see? Rather awkward situation, isn't it? It sure is. We're taking the gamble as much as you, kid. Why, heck, that, that vein might not be worth nothing a foot down. I was under the impression you thought it would work out to about... $2,000 a ton. mister, we're doing well, business with the boy, not with you. I'm representing his interests. That right, Bill? Yes, sir. Since when? About the same time as you decided to help him register his claim, Mr. Goodall. Well, what's your deal with the kid? Uh, we have a gentleman's agreement. Hmm. Pretty smart. And you come in for half. Presuming that I did. That still leaves him half, which is a lot better than a fifth share. As it happens, I have no intentions of doing so. You believe this dude, kid... Yeah, I believe him. Well, we ain't getting nowhere. Don't see much well get going on the grud. I did it last night. Well, do it again. It ain't my turn. Come over here. You too, Rob. Have you got the gun on you, Bill? Yeah, stuck in my belt here. Now keep your jacket buttoned. Don't let them see it. You figure they're going to take my gold away from me, Mr. Kimball? I think they'll make a good try. Well, I ain't going to let them. Keep your voice down. I'm sorry, sir. That sure gets me mad, though. I heard about claim jumpers, but I never expected to run into them this quick. <laughs> the price of fame and fortune. Well, they're going to have to kill me to get mine. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Ah, the conference is over. All right, me and the boys got an offer to make. Happy to listen to any offer. You and the kid take 50%, we take 50%. Hmm. I'll make you a counteroffer. You take nothing, I take nothing, Bill takes all. You see, I told you. Now look, mister, you ain't in no position to make an offer. Till that claim gets registered, it don't belong to no one. Now if me and the boys decide to stake it out for ourselves, what are you going to do about it? 
I imagine there'd be some shooting, don't you? You only got one gun. We got three. Would you like to draw first? No, ain't no use that kind of talk. Now, nobody's talking about a shoot-up. We just want what's rightfully ours. We told the kid where to look. That makes us equal partners. I don't think so. Oh, no, sir. If the kid rides in to get someone out to stake that claim for him, you know we've got the right to take over while he's gone. If I let you. It ain't your strike. He'll give me power of attorney and writing. You bet I will. What's he talking about? Are you a lawyer? No. Of course, maybe you'll ride to Helena. Leave him here. (laughs) Very doubtful. All right, now see how it is then? We got all the grub. You got none. We can just sit it out and wait. By and by, you'll get so hungry, you'll sell us the whole thing for some eats. Did you ever stop to consider that the wagon trail is not very far away? All Bill has to do is to wait for someone to come along. I wouldn't be surprised if there were one or two honest men who would give him a hand staking his claim. I'd be happy to stay here while he's gone. All right, all right, all right, Kendall, all right. All right, you win. I guess we know when we're licked. Eh? Boys, we'll pull out. How come? Shut your mouth, Doncy. Say, we'll pull out. Kendall is right. Kid found it. It's his claim. And just to show you, Mr. Kendall, that there's no hard feelings, we'll leave you some of our grub. How's that? Extremely kind. Well, I'll pay for it, Hinton. What do you figure it's worth? Oh, no, kid, it's a present to you. To make up for what we tried to do to you. <laughs> sort of a conscience salve, hmm? <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, come on, boys. Let's get moving. I didn't have the heart to laugh at Hinton's clumsy attempt to put us off guard. They packed their belongings and within ten minutes were riding off down toward the Mullen Road. At the same time, I had no illusions about our somewhat uncomfortable position. You figure they'll come back? I think there's no doubt of it. I'm sure glad I got this here gun in. I hope you don't have to use it. You all want me to get started on the grub? Yes, you might as well. Uh. <laughs> sure is something. What happens to fellas when they get a sight of gold, ain't it? History has a way of repeating itself, Bill. I went through something like this only a week ago in Fort Benton. I'm going to do if that stock's really worth something. I'm going to sell out. You know, I'm going back to Kentucky. I'm going to fix things up just fine for my mom and pa. And the kids. Brothers and sisters? Oh, yeah, a whole slew of them. Eight. That's one of the reasons I took off. Mm. Well, the immediate problem seems to be our friends. If I send you to Helena now, they might be waiting for you. On the other hand, if I go, they could come back here. I interfered either way. No doubt. But your claim won't be worth much to you if you're not alive to enjoy it. Hmm. Mr. Kendall? Hmm? What are you doing in Montana? Oh, nothing much, really, Bill. I think the word is drifting. I drift about. Do a little writing for a newspaper in London. London, England? Mm Mm-hmm. So... You know something? I never did learn reading and writing. That's something else I'm going to do when I get back. Mm, It's a good idea. But we'd better make preparations to make sure you do go back. As 
far as I could determine, their most likely line of approach would be up a shallow draw. We packed everything we could find under our blankets to make it appear we were asleep in the clearing. An hour passed. The moon rose. Mr. Kendall. Yes. Yes, I heard it. Take out your gun, but don't shoot unless I tell you to. All right, sir. And keep down behind the brush. Now, boys, get him. Well, that, that should ought to have done it, boys. No. What? Wait a minute. It ain't them under the blankets. It ain't. Just a lot. Drop your guns, gentlemen. Stand just where you are. We we, we, we was just coming back to see you was all right. Your thoughtfulness shatters me. I told you it wouldn't work. Pick up their guns, Bill. Sir. Now, gentlemen, we'll wait until it's light enough. Then you are going to stake out a claim. It'll be in the name of William Richmond. Are there, are there any objections? Good. All right, make yourselves comfortable. And then while we're waiting, perhaps you'd like to tell us some more stories. The next morning, bright and early, Bill's claim was properly marked off. And to doubly ensure that there would be no more dirty work, our dishonest friends were led, well trust, into the sheriff's office at Helena. Bill's strike didn't make him a great fortune, but it was enough to take him home a richer man when he came out. I allowed him, under the circumstances, to reward me. And he did. Very fairly. One thousand dollars. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Eddie Firestone, Larry Dobkin, Jack Moyles, and Vic Perrin. Music was composed and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. And join us again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentlemen. John Wall speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. And that's Frontier Gentlemen from March 9, 1958, with acclaimed jumpers starring John Daner. You know, John Daner was a very talented animator. He worked for Disney for a while. He was a really great artist. And then he fell in love with radio. He had a great voice and everything. Fell in love with radio while living, you know, on the West Coast as an animator for Walt Disney and left his job for the excitement of radio and became well-known. I mean, he had several series. He, of course, was paladin on Have yeah. Gun, Will Travel, and then he had this series. He was always supporting on suspense and escape and things like that, and then went into television, did a lot of, um, you know, mostly supporting characters on television and in the movies as well. Hope you enjoyed Frontier Gentlemen. Let's take a quick break here on WGN. We'll be right back. 
When we come back from news, we'll have The Chase, a good mystery drama from 1952, then a quarter-hour episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly. It's all coming your way in our next hour right after the news. Welcome back to the WGN Radio Theater. Lisa Wolf and I are here every Saturday night, 10 p.m. until 3 o'clock in the morning. Eight classic radio shows. Make sure you mark it down on your calendar. Don't miss our program and tell a friend. In this hour, we will have The Chase, a good mystery from 1952. Then we'll listen to a quarter-hour episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1954. It's all coming your way after this short break. Hour 5 of the WGN Radio Theater. want to remind everyone listening that there are five classic radio shows waiting for you to digitally download at our website, 100radioshows.com. When you go there, you'll get your five free shows. And if you want to purchase any of the other hundreds of radio shows there, make sure you use the promo code radio, save 70%. All right, Lisa, are you ready for the chase? Yes, we saved it best for last Yeah, here. the chase chase a psychological drama the premise to the show was many life situations place their subjects in a chase of one type or another a chase for fame a chase from peril a chase to beat the clock a chase to escape death scripts were fast-paced and they starred east coast talent it aired on radio beginning in 1952 and on television beginning in 1953 the stars included ralph bell larry haynes Carl Swenson, although he spelled it with a K. Right. What? Oh, man, What's come thinking? On. Santos Ortega, Mandel Kramer, with Fred Collins doing the announcing. All right. Are you ready for the chase? July 10th, 1952. This is called Doug Burton and a Mysterious Letter. Here's the chase. <laughs> The National Broadcasting Company invites you by transcription to join the chase. In the animal world, there is the hunter and the hunted. Hound and fox, hawk and sparrow, cat and mouse. We in the topmost species have also joined the hunt. But who is to judge precisely which of us are hounds or foxes as we enter the chase? Me? I'm a writer. The name is Burton, Doug Burton. Whodunits, weird stories, creepy gimmicks, stuff like that. Never heard of me? <laughs> well, naturally. I write like crazy, but I never sell anything. I've got the biggest collection of rejection slips in the author's league. My stuff isn't hot enough, they squawk. No excitement. Get some action into it, Burton, they keep telling me. Give it the fast one-two with a chase at the finish. Well, I gave it the fast one-two this trip, sweetie pie. But I didn't dream this one up. It happened. So help me, Hannah. It happened. It was in Havana, Paris with a Spanish accent. Oh, 
I fell into a fast 400 on a first-rate story in New York. It was a honey, sweetie pie, an original, with maybe a little twist here and there I stole from Ambler and E.A. Poe. It was enough to take me down to Cuba where I figured I'd get some inspiration and new background material, but the weeks rolled by and the dough ran out and the great American who done it didn't register. I started bumming singles from tourists and after a while I was down to quarters and then it was just cadging drinks. I finally ended up the way they said I'd end, a broken down hack in a dirty Guayabera, leaning across a pockmarked native gin mill bar, telling the barkeep what a great book I could have written. Hemingway? <laughs> Listen, I could have given Ernesto cards and spades, and that goes for Faulkner, too. Uno otro daquere, amigo, see? Hmm? <clears throat> You uh, are a writer, senor? Sure, I'm a writer. Uh, forgive the intrusion, but I could not help overhearing your conversation with the barkeep. Will you join me in a drink? Well, I, I don't mind if I do. No like it, Pedro. Uh, my name, senor, is Fernando. Mine's uh, Burton. I, I come from the States. <laughs> Obviously, senor. You are well known there as a writer? Uh, well, more or less. And uh, what do you write? Mystery stories. Now, don't laugh. Poe wrote them, didn't he? Masterpieces. So did the Maupassant. And I got a novel in mind that'll cop the Pulitzer. A uh, mystery novel, senor? Uh, sure. Uh, when will you write it? Well, just as soon as I get an idea. I only ask because we are both in the same profession, senor. Oh. You scribble, too? I am a publisher. Uh, a book publisher? And my specialty is detective stories. Holy smoke. Senor? Uh, I, I mean, whoa, what a break. The two of us meeting at a bar. Hey, this might turn out to be a deal. Well, I hope so, senor. Please, uh, my card. Uh, you must come to see me when you have something to offer. Sure, sure, I'll come. Uh, uh, give me a day or two, Mr. Fernando. I'll, I'll dig up a yarn. I would be delighted to hear about it, senor Burton. Oh, by the way, uh, do you have a card for me? Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I just gave my last one away. I, uh, but I'll give you my address. I got a room on the Malacon, uh, number 12. Numero 12. Well, uh, perhaps I will get in touch with you, Senor Burton. It has been a pleasure to know you. Oh, leaving already? See, I have an important engagement uh, with my printers. Oh. Uh, ay, caramba. Well, what's the trouble? This letter. I was to have mailed it yesterday. But like a fool, I have forgotten and carried it with me. It's too late now to mail, and I cannot deliver it in person because of my appointment. Well, you want me to do it for you, Mr. Fernando? No, 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 no. This is too important. It is a letter to one of my clients. Oh, I... come on. Let me have it. I'll be careful. Can you leave right now? I've got nothing else to do. You are, you are very obliging, senor, and I am grateful to you. The address is on the envelope. Uh, please make certain it is delivered promptly. I'm on my way. Uh, take a taxi, senor. Uh, a taxi? Of course, I must pay for the fare. Here. Here is five dollars, Senor Burton. Oh, well, that's okay. No, no, I... please, please, you must accept it. And let me thank you once again. Why not drop into my office? I should be there in perhaps one hour. We can discuss a projected story, and it is quite possible we can make a uh, tentative deal. Oh, I'll be there, Mr. Fernando. You can count on it. And I will be waiting for you, Senor, after the letter is delivered. He passed me a narrow manila envelope sealed on both ends with wax and addressed to his Senora Natasha Vashnik. Then he pushed a fiver in my hand and left the bar. 
I finished my drink and hit the street, but instead of hailing a cab, I uh, I figured I might as well take the bus and eat for a couple of days on the difference. That was when I got my first hint that the errand he'd sent me on had a label marked lousy. In Havana, a bus is called a Wawa, and it shouldn't happen to a dog. The chassis is put together with scotch tape and chewing gum, and the passengers are packed in like anchovies, breathing down each other's throats. I was jammed into the rear with a garlic-smelling boy on one side and a fat Duane on the other, while right behind me was a guy I didn't notice until I felt his fingers frisk the pocket in my pants. Hey! Well, excuse me. You're looking for something, mister? Uh, it was a mistake. I assure you, the bus is so crowded. You were trying to pick my pocket. Oh, no, my friend, you're in error. I got half a mind to call a cop. I suggest, my friend, that you keep the other half on something else. He had a German accent and a thick red beard. But the most significant part of this gorilla's personality was the point of a knife he held pressed against my spine. For a second, my throat went dry. Then the bus gave a lurch, and I was thrown forward through the mob, putting three or four people between us. As the bus stopped, I jumped, and I was running up the avenue while Redbeard was still trying to push his way through the crowd. I figured him for a dip with an eye on my poke, but half an hour later, I knew my wallet wasn't what Redbeard had been interested in. See, si. Senora Vashnik? See, si. I got a letter for you. A letter mm-hmm. for me. How nice. Please come in. She had a Russian accent and a shape she didn't get from eating borscht. And when she smiled and showed her pretty dimples, it made me feel like warbling, Oh, Chichornia. She led me into an overfurnished living room and pointed to a table and three chairs. I sat down on one of them. She took another while the third was occupied by a dozing Maltese cat who raised his fur and spat as soon as he laid eyes on me. Quiet, Boris. <laughs> he is not used to strangers. Uh, Senor... Burton. Doug Burton. On America? No. Mm-hmm, yeah. You say you have a letter? Uh, right here. But it was very kind of you to deliver it. You must stay and have a drink. Well, I, I, I've got an appointment. I... Just one, Mr. Burton. <laughs> For the road. Da, for the road. Rum Blanco, da? It yeah, suits me fine. Boris, be quiet. You must be nice to our guest, Boris. And mind your manners. Here you are, Mr. Burton. Good health? Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it was my fault. I spilled some liquor on your carpet. No matter. Drink up, Mr. Burton. <coughs> Boris. Boris, keep away from there. Boris. I spilled the drink. The cat stretched himself, then jumped down to the floor. Before she could stop him, he was lapping at the liquor, his tongue darting in and out like a thirsty barfly. Five seconds later, he let out a whine, and his tongue stopped moving. Then his eyes glazed like two marbles, his tail started to quiver, and he slowly rolled over on his back, his legs stiff in the air, stone dead. Your cat. Boris. What was in that drink you gave me? Drink? The cat lapped it up and it finished him. But you must be mistaken. Mistaken? Look at him. That drink was poisoned, lady. 
You don't mind if we swap. What are you doing? You drink mine and I'll drink yours, baby. But this is ridiculous. Is it? And I am giving the orders here. You are going to finish your drink, Mr. Burton. Oh. At the point of a gun. You have your choice. The drink or a bullet in your stubborn head. Well, what's the big idea? Why pick on me? I never even saw you before I came here with that letter. And I will make sure, Mr. Burton, that you will never see me again. Drink or I shoot. It was crazy. I deliver a letter to a dame I never met, and she tries to dose me with cyanide. Then she pulls a rod as big as a cannon and shoves it in my face. And she wasn't waiting too long for me to make up my mind, either. A glass of poison or a slug. I had my choice. You must be nuts, lady. Drink, I tell you. No? Then I should. I grabbed the letter, then kicked over the table a split second before she fired. She was on the floor, groping for the gun when I dived through an open window and tore up the street. I was still trying to figure what hit me when I, I glanced up at a lamppost sign and, and saw I was on Avenida Calzado, the address on Senor Fernando's card. His number was 87, and I was in front of 96. 95 was a butcher shop. 89 was a laundry, and a moment later I saw that what should have been number 87 was an empty lot. I stood there like an idiot looking across the open space, then pulled out the letter. But as I started to crack the ceiling wax with my fingernail, I heard footsteps behind me, and I turned and met Herr Redbeard again, face to face. This is a coincidence, my friend. You think so? Imagine us meeting here on an empty street. That's a small world. May I trouble you? For what? The letter, my friend. What letter? The manila envelope you just put in your shirt. You sound anxious, Barbarossa. I am, my friend, most anxious. Anxious enough to use this knife. Uh, uh, that, that won't be necessary. I was hoping you would be reasonable. Well, you... You've been looking for it, and now you can have it. In your pussy! I nailed him on the kisser, only it wasn't solid. He staggered back, but not completely out. I saw his hand go for his pocket, and the knife blade flashed. But I was on my way before he could get himself to lunge. This time I... I wasn't fresh and my wind was bad while he was only 20 yards behind me and gaining fast. As I turned the corner, I saw a double pair of glass doors under an awning on my left and I ducked inside to find myself in a tourist dine and dance joint called the Capitolio. I went through the lobby just as he came after me through the door and reached the main patio of the restaurant. The dance floor was out in the open, jammed with tourists. And as I snaked my way along the sides, I glanced back and saw a red beard behind me casing the crowd. At that point, I stopped at a table, pulled an overweight dame right out of a chair and tried to lose myself by doing a Roomba through the mob. Well, I declare. Remember me? Oh, well, you must be out of your mind, young man. The name's Doug Burton. I'm a friend of your husband's. You are? Oh, you must remember. Oh, well, I, I must say I have a very poor memory for faces. Oh, but I haven't, especially a face like yours. Oh, oh, you're very flattering, Mr. Burton. I'm sure my husband will be delighted. We just arrived in Havana this morning, and we don't know a soul. But I was worried. Oh, no, I told Orville that we'd meet someone. Oh, oh, oh I, well... 
I declare. I thought it might be better if we danced on the other side. Well, you, you needn't have pulled me that way. Why are you looking around like that? Oh, now, really, Mr. Burton, I, are you quite sure we've met before? Our name is Owens. Oh, no doubt about it. Let's dance over there near the kitchen door. The kitchen door? Oh, there's Orville. He just stepped out to make a phone call. Come back to the table with me, Mr. Burton. He'll be so happy to see you. Keep dancing, lady. But my husband... Keep dancing and shut up. Her mouth popped open like a fish out of water, but my mind was something else. Old Redbeard was moving across the floor, one hand in his pocket, and his eyes glued to mine. Oh! Oh! That man! Stop him! He's got a knife! Stop him! was halfway through the kitchen when she started to yell, and the confusion on the dance floor gave me a 30-second start. That was all I needed to grab a cab and direct him to my roach-ridden flat on the Malacone. As I climbed the stairs, I tried to put the thing together in my mind, but it just wouldn't make sense. The answer, I thought, must be inside the manila envelope, and I was planning on having a look just as soon as I reached my room, but... I hadn't figured on unexpected company when I opened my door. Single person. Surprised, Fernando? A little. I must confess. Why? Didn't you expect to see me alive again? Senor, I... Don't senor me, you double-crossing weasel. They tried to poison me, shoot me, and stick a knife in my liver. I've been chased from one end of Havana to the other, and now I'm finding out why. Senor, please, you... You are joking me, Stand still. I'm not armed, senor. I have no weapons. Then start making with the answers. <laughs> uh, what would you like to know? You're no book publisher. <laughs> agreed, senor. You sent me up to that Russian dame and she tried to kill me. Also agreed. Why? You were taking my place, senor. You see, if I had delivered the letter, she would have killed me. This was a very uncomfortable thought. So I sent you in my place, naturally. Naturally. I was warned, senor, that the bearer of that letter would be automatically liquidated. So he would be unable to ever identify the lady again. I have a great love of life, senor. And I decided to give you the honor of dying in my place. Thanks. Don't mention it, senor. And now I got a little surprise for you, sweetie pie. See? Mm-hmm. I'm going to beat your brains out with a coat oh, hanger. Don't touch me or I will call the police. That'll be just dandy. I can tell them you're a housebreaker and I set you up with a cooler just before they came. I, I, I did not break into your room, senor. The door was open. Which brings up another point. Why did you come here? Why, senor? And make the answer a good one while you still got your own teeth. I, I just wanted to call on you, senor. To... Come again? Senor, you make big mistake. Oh. Now, once more and make it sound better this time. Don't hit me again. I tell you all, I, I came here to see if you had any papers. Identification, a passport, perhaps. I thought I could use it to get in the United States. Pretty sure I wouldn't show up alive, weren't you? Si, senor. Why? I told you. I knew that the man who delivered that letter would not live to talk about it. I received $500, senor, to make the delivery. You turned it over to me for a fin. What's in that letter that makes it so important? Uh, I don't know, senor. I was warned not to break the ceiling wax. Okay, let's have a look. Senor? Well? This may not be wise. You got 500 and they tried to knock me off to keep me quiet. I've written a lot of mysteries, mister, and this one takes the cake. But there's a payoff to every whodunit, and I'm getting that payoff now. 
He watched me like a hawk as I opened the flap and slipped out a single sheet of paper. I unfolded it, took one good look, and then stared at Fernando, too stupefied to talk. The sheet of paper I took from the envelope was completely blank. One of us must be crazy. Si, senor. Look, look at this paper. I am looking, senor. It's blank. Si, senor. You mean this envelope was worthless? Perhaps. And you got half a G to deliver it? <laughs> a joke, no? No. It is one of those things that cannot be explained. You cannot get blood out of a stone, senor. But so... you're no stone. Uh, senor. Uh, you got the answers, Fernando, and you're giving them to me. No, senor. I have no answers. I have told you all. I swear I have told you... Uh, oh, senor. Uh. He was standing near an open window, and whoever fired must have aimed from across the street. Both bullets went right between his shoulder blades, and he was dead even before he hit the floor. I didn't dare go near the window, and I knew I'd be taking a chance if I used the door. Before I even had time to turn him over, I heard footsteps coming up the stairs, and a few seconds later, Redbeard waltzed in with a gun still in his hand. Uh, greetings. We meet once again, my friend. Uh, come in and make yourself at home. Uh, uh... Sorry, I can't introduce you to my other guest. He's uh, indisposed. I will not stay long. Oh, incidentally, we've uh, we've never been formally introduced. This is not necessary. Oh, but if you're going to shoot me, you ought to do it on a friendly basis. You are a cool one, my friend. The, the name is Burton. If it'll make you feel any better, you may call me Fritz. A German? Yeah. Germans, Russians, Spaniards. <laughs> this is getting to be an international Kathy Clutch. The letter, please. The letter? Please. Well, uh, help yourself. It's on the table. The envelope is on the table, but you have the paper in your pocket. Give it to me. Come and get it, Fritzy. Must I remove it from your body? I'll, um, I'll make a deal with you. You'll make a deal with me? Mm -hmm. You're forgetting that I have the gun, my friend. Oh, oh, my memory's not what it used to be. The letter, no more talk. It's all yours, Fritzy. Here. <coughs> I found out he was a sucker for a left hook the first time I clipped him, and he fell for the same lead twice. He fired as he staggered, but his shot went wild. And as he tried to catch his balance, I clamped a wrist lock on one of his arms, twisted him around, and sent him right over my shoulder in a flying mare, right through the window. Oh. By the time I reached the entrance to the building, a crowd had gathered, and the cops were on the way. With a corpse in my flat and another one under my awning, explanations would have been hard to come by, so I sidled around the jabbering group on the sidewalk, strolled up the street, then broke into a run as I turned the corner. There was still one party left alive who knew the score, and I headed in her direction. But this time, I didn't use the front door to get in. I climbed through a kitchen window in the back, then walked softly through the hall and found her pacing the floor in her overfurnished parlor, biting her nails in frustration. Hello again. Uh, you. Don't move any nearer to that desk, baby. This time I'll hold on to the artillery just to <laughs> change the plot. Very well. What now? I, uh, got a proposition to make, Natasha. Duh. Duh. Let me in on the secret and we share and share alike. What a secret, darling? The one connected with this blank sheet of paper. There is no secret. No? You have been made the victim of a bad joke. Do I look like I'm laughing? 
that the paper in your hand is worthless, as you can see. It is merely a dummy. The real formula has long since been sold. What formula? You don't know? I only know I'm holding the gun, baby, and you'd better talk fast. <laughs> I have no objection to telling you whatever you want to hear, my handsome friend. Who was Fritz? Fritz? Mm -hmm. The German. He was an agent, like I am. A Russian agent? I work for whoever will pay the most, my boy. And frankly, my fellow countrymen are the cheapest of the lot. Fritz was also a freelancer. And we were both after the same piece of merchandise. What about Fernando? Who is Fernando? He was the guy who was supposed to deliver that letter to you originally. Oh, yes, you took his place. He was hired to bring the letter here from Buenos Aires. He was unimportant. Mm -hmm. Now we come to the jackpot question. That? This blank sheet of paper. I told you, it is a dummy. You are wasting your time. I have already sold the formula to a foreign power for a handsome sum. And just what is the formula? A bomb which will make the atom bomb and even the hydrogen bomb look like toys, my friend. It was developed by a scientist who has since, shall we say, passed away. Hmm, so many guys seem to be doing these days. So you would be just as wise to leave and forget the whole affair. What are you looking for? I just wanted to make sure this paper was worthless before I set fire to it. Set fire to it mm, now? Mm, sure. Why bother to do that? <laughs> Maybe I'm an incipient pyromaniac. As long as the paper's useless, we get rid of it. Duh. No. Put the match out, you fool. Put it out. <laughs> As the edge of the blank sheet of paper started to burn, her face turned green, and she almost scorched her fingers off trying to reach the flame. Just an inch or two was damaged by the time I doused it, and as she stood there glaring at me, livid, I noticed something else. The edge of the paper that was nearest the fire wasn't blank anymore. Well, what have we here? Now you have all the answers you require. Hey, not a bad gimmick. The paper's been chemically treated. Heat brings out the invisible ink. So... Looks as though I'm holding all the aces now, baby. But not for long. I do have an ace, my friend, with a gun in his hand who is standing right behind you. Don't turn. Take his revolver, Natasha. Da. The formula, too. Da. Now step aside. Don't shoot, Ivan. Not here. Then where? The gold field. We can leave him there. The car, Natasha. Let us get this over with. Quickly. I was cornered and I knew it, so I didn't say a word. They shoved me outside to a closed sedan and dumped me in the back while Natasha drove and he held the rod against my ribs. Fifteen minutes later, we reached an open garbage dump with nothing and no one in sight except two goats. Wait here, Natasha. Hurry, Ivan. You, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, this place smells like a sewer. The order will not trouble you for very long. Uh, can't we talk this over? Uh, there is nothing to say. You've gone far enough. Stop here. Uh, before you pull that trigger, you might satisfy my curiosity. In regard to what? Uh, that paper in your pocket. Uh, how much will you get for it? As much as the market will bear. A uh, couple of thousand? Thousands for this? <laughs> 
The price will be in millions. And you've got the only copy? Da. Here in my hand. Ivan, hurry! I'll be with you in a moment, Natasha. Just as soon as I feed our friend to the goats. Hey, don't look that hungry! I took the only chance I had left and lunged for the gun, but this trip my luck didn't hold completely. I felt the sting and heat of the slug as it passed right through my shoulder, but I managed to get one arm in a stranglehold around his throat. He dropped the gun in surprise as he struggled for air, and I could feel the last of my strength begin to leave when his windpipe snapped. He, he was flat on his back as I turned to face Natasha, who had left the car, and I knew I was even too weak to hold her off as she tried to tear me apart with her fingernails, but she wasn't watching me or her sidekick. She was staring at one of the goats, her stunned expression in her eyes and her jaw hanging open like a lavalier. The paper. He... He was holding it in his, his hand. Where is it? The goat. The paper had slipped from Ivan's hand as we struggled, and it had blown a few feet away across the dump. One of the goats had started to chew it, and I turned just in time to see him munch the last of it and swallow it whole. Well, that's the story, sweetie pie. Except for an addenda or two. The Russian recovered and they jailed him as a foreign spy along with Natasha while I holed up in my flat and worked like mad. I put the entire yarn on paper, twist for crazy twist, and sent it to New York for publication. And this is the topper, the thing that's got me nuts. My story just came back to me as usual with a rejection slip pinned to the flyleaf marked Unbelievable. In the animal world, there is the hunter and the hunted. Hound and fox, hawk and sparrow, cat and mouse. We in the topmost species have also joined the hunt. But who is to judge precisely which of us are hounds or foxes as we enter the chase? The Chase was created and written for the National Broadcasting Company by Lawrence Clee. In tonight's cast were Vinton Hayworth, Jan Miner, Louis Van Ruten, and Roger DeCoven. Next week, a suspenseful story involving a song from the grave and a man who tried to escape from his conscience on The Chase. The Chase was directed and transcribed by Dan Sutter. Fred Collins speaking. And that's The Chase from July 10th, 1952, with Doug Burton and a mysterious letter. Hope you enjoyed that. Well, for the next five weeks, including this week, we will have five consecutive episodes of Fibber McGee and Molly. These are quarter-hour episodes, and this particular episode is from January 26, 1954. Jim and Marion Jordan star. Here's Fibber McGee and Molly. The Fibber McGee and Molly Show.
NBC and Tums present Fibber McGee and Molly Transcribed. The show was written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. Fibber and Molly will be with you in a minute. This is Don Wilson for Tums. If you've ever tried Tums, you know how fast they act to give relief to the discomfort of acid indigestion or heartburn. If you've never tried Tums, try them the next time acid indigestion strikes. See what I mean when I say Tums give don't wait relief. There's no waiting for bottles, glasses, spoons, or water. You take Tums then and there, wherever you are, and you don't wait for relief. Tums really act fast. Yet, there's no worry about acid rebound or over-alkalizing. That's because Tums contain a gentle form of calcium that acts as a scientific buffer. Tums stop working automatically the instant excess stomach acid is neutralized. So do as millions do. Always carry economical Tums in pocket or purse. Ten cents a roll. Ever since Mrs. Molly McGee was identified yesterday as Citizen X in the Big Merchants Contest, the phone's been ringing like crazy at 79 Wistful Vista. Yes, Mabel, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. All the stores have been sending me gifts all day long for being their Citizen X. Yes. Isn't it exciting? Hey, Molly. Just a minute, dearie. I'll call you later, Mabel. I just got another gift from one of the merchants. Bye. Potted plant from the florist. Where'll I throw it? Just set it on the coffee table there. Isn't that pretty? Mm. It says, thanks to Citizen X for bringing the crowds downtown. Mm. Isn't it wonderful of all the merchants to send me these presents? Yes, well. Which hat do you like better with my new coat? The black one or the blue one? Gee whiz, Molly, why didn't you tell me you were Citizen X? Here I go running all over town like I'm a... I'm sorry, McGee, I couldn't tell you. They made me promise not to tell anyone, not even you. You can. Well, you didn't have to come right out and tell me. You could have just hinted a little. Hinted? You could have said that Citizen X was somebody that every morning I eat breakfast across from. Some little undirect hint like that. That wouldn't be telling me. Well, it's all over now, sir. Yeah, all over town that Citizen X's husband, stupid McGee, lived right with her the whole time and never caught on. Oh, people won't say anything like that at all. Oh. Look, we made out pretty well with this contest, sweetheart. The Merchants Association gave me a check for $200. Just look at all these nice presents. The coat from the Bonton, hats from the Chapeau Chateau, stockings, cosmetics. Yeah, but to keep a secret from your own husband, just for a few measly trinkets. And look. From Kramer's Drugstore. Some nice cigars for you. Mm. Alfalfa Coronas. Alfalfa Coronas? No. No, I can't. You were the one who was Citizen X. They're yours. But I don't smoke cigars. Even when you're not home, I don't sneak them. Honest, I don't. Well, I'm not smoking them either. Oh, McGee, stop acting silly. Go on, take them. Have people around town say that I'm living off my wife. No, sir. Not me, I don't. Heavenly day. It's bad enough everywhere I go, people are going to stop and point me out in the street and say, there goes Mr. Citizen X, and ask me how it feels to be married to a celebrity. A what? A celebrity. You know, you're the man of the hour, ain't you? Everyone's talking about you. After the paper comes out tonight, they'll all be reading about you. Oh, You'll be a celebrity. dearie, don't feel that way. Well, it's true. That newspaper guy that was over here this morning didn't come by to start you on a delivery route. Is that why you left the house when he started to interview me? Because you are upset? Who's upset? Just didn't want to horn in, that's all. This is your deal, not mine. Now, don't be like that. Like what? I'm happy for you. 
This is your big day. Last thing in the world I'd want to do is spoil it. What are you doing? I'm going to call the Merchants Association and give back the money and have them come and take back the gifts. Huh? Hello, operator. Operator. Oh, now, 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 wait a minute, kiddo. Uh, leave us not lose our heads. Uh, after all, all 200 bucks is a lot of dough. There isn't enough money in the world to make up for causing my husband one moment's unhappiness. Operator? Put the phone down, kiddo. Let's be sensible. Pressure, boy! I'm sorry, McGee, but if this is going to cause you one moment... Hi, Johnny! Hi, daughter! Say, what you got your finger on the phone hook for, daughter? You can't make a call that way. The connection's dead. I thought you were kind of anxious to give away $200. $200? Here's a Citizen X contest starting all over again? You are Citizen X, daughter. What? You heard me tell her, Johnny. Let's have the money. Boy, wait till Bessie hears about this. Take it easy, old-timer. The contest isn't starting again. But you said daughter here was giving away $200. Well, she ain't. The whole thing was my fault, and... Kiddo, I apologize. I've been acting like a fool. Let's kiss and make up. Well, I appreciate the offer, but that won't be necessary, Johnny. <laughs> Let's just call it a misunderstanding and let it go at that. I wasn't talking to you. Oh. What'd you come over here for, anyhow? Anything? Yep, I got some stuff in the truck for daughter here, present from the market. Oh, my goodness, more things. Madam Citizen X, we, the members of the market division of the Merchants Association, present you with this stuff as a token of our appreciation for the business you bring us. <laughs> What's the bugle call for? First gift, daughter. Six cases of bugle brand Tabasco sauce. <laughs> Remember, for a real hot lick, try bugle. Bring it in, boys. <laughs> <laughs> now, really, your market didn't need to no, do this. No, she appreciates the honor, but... Cut it there, boys. Next, six gross of garlic cloves. Ooh. Case of canned rutabaggers. Fifty pounds of watermelon rind for pickling. Heavenly days. Another case of rutabaggers. Dozen bicarbonate. <laughs> There's more fun with the McGee's shortly. Democracy and education go hand in hand because each depends upon the other. The importance of education and good schools is an American tradition that goes back to the earliest days of our nation. The fact is, our whole way of life is based upon our public school system. And in a way, our pride in our schools is as important as our pride in our country. Today, a serious situation in our schools is rising caused by an unprecedented increase in our population. Our schools must be made adequate in both numbers and facilities to take care of millions more children. In many communities, new and larger school buildings are needed. Classes are crowded, and there just aren't enough teachers to do a good job. In other communities, school facilities are old-fashioned and inadequate. It's up to every citizen to find out just what the conditions are in the schools in his community. Take an interest in your schools by working with local civic groups and school boards. If you need help in improving conditions, write National Citizens Commission for Public Schools, New York City. <laughs> McGee, Dr. Gamble called again a while ago. Why don't you call him back? That's the third time he's phoned you. Ah, oh, the heck with him. It's not important. How about more tubes? You didn't call him back either. I got nothing to talk to that mule mouth about. Is this Citizen X thing still bothering you? No, no, of course not. What makes you say that? Well, you haven't left the house all day. You won't talk to anybody on the phone. Look, dearie, nobody's going to tease you because you didn't catch on that I was Citizen X, so why... Oh, you... no. 
You don't think Doc Gamble's gonna let a chance like this get by, do you? He'll make my life miserable. Ah. You don't know how it feels to be in an embarrassing position where a guy needs a friend and his best friend comes along and razzes the pants off of him and hoots at him and tells the whole town he's a dunce. Oh, McGee, Dr. Gamble's never done anything like that to you before, so why should No, he... but I did it to him once. Now's his chance to get even. And he will, too. You know how them elephants are. They never forget. Oh, you're just being silly. Oh, yeah? Well, if you think... Oh, my gosh. Whose car is that pulling up out in front now? It's him. All right, now, just... The big hip stabber. Probably been stropping that razor-edged tongue of his all day so he can cut me to ribbons. And I'm not going to give him the chance. Wait, where are you going? Out the back way. I'll hide in the garage till... Watch the Christmas tree. I see it. Look, I'll go hide in the garage till you get rid of him. Tell him I can't see him. Tell him I'm sick. No, that won't work, will it? Tell him I'm out, and I will be. But, McGee, now, wait. Don't run off like that. I'll see you later, kiddo, after you get rid of old horse laugh. Better grab a cold pork chop or something. I may have to stay in that garage all afternoon. Oh, my gosh, I can't even wait to grab food. I'll slide out this back door and duck into the... Going somewhere, my boy? No, not now, I'm not. What are you doing sneaking in our back door, Lard Bucket? I wasn't sneaking in. Just pulled my car into your driveway, my boy, and this was handier, so McGee, I McGee, that wasn't Dr. Gamble at the front door. It was Mr. Wimple. He's in the living room. He wants to talk to you. Wimp? Oh, hello, Dr. Gamble. Hiya, Molly. For some reason, my little pal here wouldn't talk to me on the phone... So I thought I'd drop by and pay my respects in person. Here it comes. All right, come on inside, Fatso. Let's get it over with. Over with? Come along, Doctor. What's he talking about, Molly? Oh, he has some strange idea that... Watch it! Oh, oh sorry. Hello, Dr. Gamble. Oh, hello. And hello, Mr. McGee. Hi. Mr. McGee, may I shake your hand? My hand? Either one. Doesn't matter. I'd consider it an honor because you are my ideal. Oh, you got the wrong party, Wimp. I wasn't the one who was Citizen X. Molly was. I know. And to have known all along as you did. And to keep the secret in snow, sleet, hail, and all kinds of weather. Goodness, how did you do it? Known all along that Molly was Citizen X? Oh, stop acting so shy, McGee. Huh? It doesn't fit that sweet, lovable, blabbermouth personality we all know so well. In fact, I was really on my way here to razz the pants off you till I picked up tonight's paper. Here's a story on page one. Let's see that. Yes, our paper hasn't come yet. Oh, look! Isn't that a lovely picture of Mr. McGee there? Next to you, Mrs. McGee? Wonderful. Me, but I didn't. The paper insisted on it, dearie. I gave them the one in your World War I uniform. It's the only one I could find. I look like your mother. Hey, what's this all about? I, oh, I don't... Oh, stop kidding. Read it, my boy. Loud. Yes, yeah, come please. on, McGee. Go on, read, ahead, it. read it. Mm-hmm. In an exclusive interview with the Gazette this morning, Citizen X, Mrs. Molly McGee, admitted that one other person besides contest officials knew her true identity. Yeah. Her husband shared the secret with her from the start, and it must have taken great strength of character to keep quiet under such exciting circumstances. Hmm. Not only did Mr. McGee keep the secret, but on several occasions he personally led the hunt for Citizen X thus averting suspicion from his wife and aiding the contest greatly. The Gazette salutes you, Fibber McGee. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Isn't that nice? Oh, you sly little devil. I've heard of poker faces, but you... You had everybody fooled, all right. <laughs> well, gee whiz. Well, it wasn't easy, but, well, when you got strength of character and a real sweet wife, well, shucks. <laughs> 
we'll say goodnight to Fibber and Molly in a moment. Comedy entertainment is high on the list of favorite radio programs for all listeners polled in a recent survey. And comedy entertainment is what you'll hear tomorrow night when you set your radio dial to this same NBC station. There's a world of fun when it's time for Groucho Marx and You Bet Your Life, the quiz game that takes second place to the comedy questions Groucho springs during his interviews with contestants from the studio audience. It's a fun-packed edition of Question Marks and Laughs each time Groucho Marx plays You Bet Your Life. Be sure to hear this wonderful show tomorrow evening on the NBC Radio Network. And we know that you'll also want to make a date with Water Commissioner Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. The great Gildersleeve is always bumbling his way into unpredictable situations that make the laughs flow thick and fast. Be sure to be on hand tomorrow night when it's time for the great Gildersleeve on the NBC Radio Network. More fun for Wednesday evenings comes with Bill Cullen's fast-paced Walk-A-Mile Quiz Show. Radio entertainment on Wednesdays is most enjoyable when you set your dial to this station. When I walked into that Elks Club tonight, kiddo, them guys crowded around me like skaters around a bonfire. Good. How'd you ever keep quiet about it, they said. I couldn't have kept a secret like that if it was my wife, they said. <laughs> Boy, are you a poker face, they said. <laughs> <laughs> What'd you say? Oh, nothing. I just smiled like Mona Lisa and walked away. <laughs> a very wise move. Good night. Good night, all. NBC and Tums have brought you the Fibber, McGee, and Molly program transcribed with Bill Thompson as the old-timer in Wallace Wimple and Arthur Q. Bryan as Dr. Gamble. This is John Wald inviting you to be with us again tomorrow night for another visit with Fibber, McGee, and Molly. Laugh with Senator Ford and Can You Top This on the NBC Radio Network. And that's a quarter-hour episode of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from January 26, 1954. The next four weeks, we'll have consecutive quarter-hour episodes of Fibber, McGee, and Molly for you. Hope you enjoyed that. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more here on the WGN Radio Theater. Next week, we'll be back Saturday night, 10 p.m., with eight more shows. We've got Boston Blackie, The Burns and Allen Show, Inner Sanctum Mysteries, Tales of the Texas Rangers, The Abbott and Costello Show, The Mole Mystery Theater, Gangbusters, and another quarter hour of Fibber McGee and Molly. All right, that's next week, 10 p.m. Mark your calendar. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Mike. Thanks to everyone listening out there, and we'll see you next week.